Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Welcome back to the Real Food, Real Conversations podcast. This is episode 94, and I am really, really excited for this episode to come out today. I have my friend Delina here, and we are going to be talking about um, a subject that I think needs a lot more attention than it's getting, but basically about how cultural foods and foods that you know you grew up with, you love, um, that should be part of your life that perhaps the diet world, you know, tells you they shouldn't. And that conflicting view of wanting to, you know, do what's quote unquote, right for health, yet stick to what your gut says you should be able to eat. Um, And Delina here is an expert on that. And I'm so excited to have her. Welcome, Delina. Please tell everybody your amazingness and all you do. (laughs) Thank you. So yeah, my name is Delina Soto. Um, I am a registered dietitian and I work from an intuitive eating health at every size lens. And I really focus on that cultural aspect of food and our relationship to it. I am first gen Dominican American. So um, it's really important to me and for my clients um, to be able to keep those cultural foods in our everyday um, in a non-demonizing way, like the wellness world and like diet culture seems to tell us all of the time. So yeah, my goal is to spread the good word. <laughs> I love it. And I love, and also before we start chatting more, I have linked in the post that um, her free workshop, Three Ways to Ditch Diets, make sure you click on that so you can check that out because it's awesome. Um, just a little side note there. Um, and I fully agree with you. I'm most of you that are listening might know I'm first generation, um, Greek American. And I kind of too, I, you know, I'm sure like you, like I grew up in my home, my mom made Greek food because Mm -hmm. that's what she did because that's how she grew up. And, and to me, like traditional American food wasn't even something that I experienced until I went to college, I guess you can say, um, which is, yeah, I mean, we would go out for, funny enough, people used to, people kind of giggle at this, but like my family growing up and we went out to dinner, um, sometimes Italian, which, you know, is pretty typical, but my, my dad loved um, Asian food. So we would go to Japanese, we would go. So that was kind of my, I ate a ton of Greek food and then I, used, I had a ton of Asian food, which is so funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about, like, I, I, think that we need more dietitians like you in the world, honestly, because at least in the sample size online, it seems to be all of the same. And it's so mundane and boring to me when it's like everything you see is the same, the same, the same. Tell me what you do with clients and why it's so important that you think that you spread this word. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest issues I think Um, is our education and not that like our education is wrong or bad, right? It's super science heavy. Um, And of course we want that, right? Like I I joke around and I tell people, I know what happens to food the minute it touches your tongue till, you know, you poop it out. So it's like, we go through this heavy science-based training and we learn how food interacts and all the pathways in your body. Um, and like how it's supposed to affect our health. But the biggest issue is that it's coming from, you know, Eurocentric research. 
Um, and so it's coming from a place where, you know, people that look like me aren't being studied or looked at, um, our foods aren't being looked at. And so when these guidelines are created, you know, they're just taking, you know, one view of health and one view of nutrition. But a lot of the people that are putting these, you know, guidelines together have never stepped foot into one of our countries and don't really know how the food is made. It's a lot of, um, you know, stereotypes that are being used from what they've heard or like the books or textbooks say, which we all know that a lot of these textbooks out here have very, you know, negative information. And then when it comes to, you know, culture um, and I, I think it's important for us to realize that like this was the thing right in the 80s and 90s. These books were being written and culture wasn't a thing. And I think that now um, just diversity and, and being, you know, culturally aware is so important because the United States is a melting pot, right? We're not just American. Many of us are other cultures as well, especially when you're first generation. So I think that what we need to do is really take that science, right? And not try to change our foods because they have kept our ancestors alive for, you know, centuries, but really discuss the nutrition in them. And I think more importantly, we need to be talking about, you know, social determinants of health more than we should be talking about food um, and exercise because there's so many things that affect our health um, and food and exercise is just like a minuscule part of it. So I think that it's important to look at people in a whole, you know, holistic way, as I call it, um, where you're looking at the whole picture, not just, oh, you ate French fries today. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, really taking the time to see the individual and how their day is, what their needs are. So I think that that's really what I see a lot of people moving towards, which is great um, because it does take some like serious critical thinking skills to be able to like take that science background that we have and apply it to, you know, the foods that we grew up eating, right? You grew up eating Greek food. I grew up eating Dominican food um, and very different from American food. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, and you're so right. Actually, what's so interesting is I had a, um, an episode a couple of times ago um, that I recorded about BMI mm -hmm. and I learned so much about mm -hmm. BMI and how it was started by, first of all, a person who was a statistician. It wasn't even anybody yeah. that had to do with the medical community. Yeah. Um, and it was based on Euro European, like white men. men and yeah. that's the thing is that all of a sudden this evolved into something that our doctors started using to mm -hmm. assess everybody. And yeah. it's, it was so mind blowing to me. I mean, I've always kind of known that BMI is full of shit because um, I had a friend in when I was a teacher for 14 years. And this is this woman whose daughter was by no means like obese in any way. However, she qualified as obese on the mm -hmm. scale on the doctor's mm -hmm. scale. And I remember when she came back from her pediatrician appointment in tears mm -hmm. and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, what? Your daughter mm -hmm. is nowhere near obese. Like, mm -hmm. But this, num the numbers told the doctor she was. Yeah. And so the doctor discussed this in front of, in front of a girl. child. Exactly. I'm like, I was just, and so I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so important. And I actually think one thing science should has taught us that people tend to forget is that science explores, like yes. goes back and explores, <laughs> yeah. you know, the root of the problem, the main thing. And that's the thing that we, I think, keep missing as a, as a community, I guess, is 
we take some of the stuff as just someone will, you know, say something like, you know, the typical white rice versus brown rice, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I mean, and same with like sugars, like, Mm -hmm. yes. I mean, people don't realize that sugar, your body sees it. It does not know what kind of sugar it is. It just Mm -hmm. knows that it's sugar. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people demonize like, you know, oh, I can't believe your kids eat this or that. And I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, their main food group isn't, you know, chocolate cake, but (laughs) when they go to a party or, you know, we're craving chocolate cake, we're going to eat chocolate cake. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, whatsoever. so yeah, I mean, I think that's the problem is, and I totally agree with you. The social determinants of health is a big thing for me. I am definitely privileged in a living very comfortably in a Mm -hmm. middle to upper middle class community. Um, I was raised by two parents who came here from the United States. My dad was pretty normal, was um, lived in Athens when he grew up. His dad was a doctor, but my mother actually was extremely poor to the point where she didn't know she was going to eat every day. Um, So when it comes to, to food, you know, coming from, and I haven't experienced this, but the stories my mom has told me of when she was a child and her passion to help those less fortunate growing up. She was always a mentor to um, students at the Monarch School, which is a homeless school here in San Diego. Um, I remember going to Target with uh, her mentor child and buying things for their family um, and knowing and hearing these stories and going back firsthand to Greece to see the home my mom grew up in, in this tiny village in the mountains. Um, there's more to it, like you said, than just food and exercise. You know, there's people that, you know, people demonize fast food and it's like, well, instead of saying we should get rid of all the fast food joints, like how about saying, how can we work with this fast food joint to, you know, maybe find other options that can be there? Because when someone's been working, there are essential workers and has been working a 14 hour day. And this fast food joint is on their way home and is fast and easy and convenient, you really think that they're going to go home and spend two hours making a meal? Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the biggest things I think we, we should be talking about a society is that, you know, why is it that way? Why is it that you, you know, I live in Philadelphia and we have one of the biggest food apartheids um, in the country. And yeah, like, I'm not going to shame a parent who is working, like you said, 12, 14 hours a day is exhausted working for the minimum wage in my state is $7 and 25 cents. I know California is a little higher than that, but who the heck am I to be like, how dare you? How dare you buy your kid McDonald's? Like that, that is so shameful as me as a medical provider to be saying that. And yet there's people out there that do that, but no, my job isn't to criticize you or guilt trip you or shame you for doing what you can with the means that you have. My job is to help you, right? To help you find um, other sources of fresh fruits and vegetables, other sources of, you know, food, um, applying for, you know, different, you know, programs that are out there, which I think people don't realize, like, there's a lot of shame in applying for these programs. People don't want to be, you know, on WIC or they don't want to be on SNAP, right? Like that is Mm -hmm. very shameful for a lot of people. And so I think that we should be talking about that as a nation of like, why is that a thing? Philadelphia is such a wealthy, you know, prominent, you know, city, how do we yeah. have the biggest food apartheid? And why is it that there's all this redlining around where supermarkets can be built and where they can't be built, right? Like there's so yeah. many things that 
you know, the regular person that was a privileged life like us does not see, right? Because Mm -hmm. I live in the burbs of Philly. I walk out of my house and I could throw a rock and hit a supermarket, right? Yeah, totally. um, There's there's a supermarket. I I could drive one mile and I hit at least four supermarkets. That's not the case in inner city Philadelphia, right? And so instead of us shaming people, we should be talking about why are people still making $7.25 an hour? Why are there no supermarkets, right? I had a client, you know, share with me the other day that she lives in El Paso, Texas, and she crosses the border to buy fruits and vegetables. She goes to Mexico to buy fruits and vegetables because there's not, they're not as fresh here in the United States. So these are things that we need to be thinking about. And unfortunately, I think that the wellness world um, a lot of these like mommy bloggers, like, you know, that aesthetic yes, that we I see know. on social mm-hmm. media is very much like, <laughs> you know, I fed my kid a broccoli smoothie. So I'm like, oh, ew. <laughs> One. Yeah. And two, not everybody has access to your green juice, but let me give my kid a hundred percent juice. And it's like the end of the world for some of these people. Like, how dare you? You're feeding your kid poison. What's the difference between your cold pressed juice and my 100% juice? No, no, nothing really. And that's, (laughs) that's why a lot of the time, well, and that's why a lot of the time I try and like, I I struggle a lot with social media myself just because of this issue. And I, I just struggle with it. And I know that like, I want to put on there stuff that's more real, but it's hard to compete with this stuff Mm -hmm. that is fancy and pretty because nobody wants to look at you know, the stuff necessarily that's real, (laughs) Exactly. Um, but that's why I try and share, you know, behind the scenes of like, Hey, I used frozen veggies today to make our meal because they were on sale and I got them and I put them in the freezer for a time that I knew that like, I'm not going to have time to like prep whatever. And I do love to prep. That's my thing. Like I help teach people how to get fresh stuff and prep it for the week and make it easier. But I'm a human and I've got three kids. And there's a lot of times where I have my freezer stocked with frozen stuff because it's, it's great. And it's, and people don't actually know that frozen fruits and veggies are actually picked and frozen at ripeness. So a lot of the times they're better than some Mm -hmm. of the stuff that you find fresh that has been sitting on the uh, whatever for like weeks. So, um, and same with canned, there's no shame in canned because they're actually canned at peak ripeness as well. Exactly. Um, So people don't, I think you're right that like we, so how do we teach people? To, so how do you teach people to do that? How do you teach people to um, use, you know, what are the strategies to have, find other options, keep it with their traditional food and um, the mental health aspect as well yeah. of that? Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things I think we need to think about is that if we think about hierarchy of needs, if you're not meeting, you know, shelter, you know, money, um, a stable job, do you think nutrition is going to be the priority for you? Like <laughs> it's not. And so a lot of the times when I'm working with my clients, you know, in the inner city, I'm really helping them reduce stress. I'm, I'm really helping them, you know, meet their needs by going frozen and canned. I literally only buy frozen veggies one because again I live in this area so a lot of the times you know things that we like like mangoes and you know other fruits might not taste that well like in in the winter like right now I was you know sharing with you it's five degrees outside (laughs) um so frozen helps you know get that flavor in our foods um and veggies as well um we do a lot of canned you know foods or veggies too so it's like 
you know, there's nothing wrong with convenience. And, you know, there's this really, you know, big issue with like processed foods, but like process literally just means that you changed it from one thing to another. You took fresh and you made it canned. You took fresh, you made it frozen. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But again, I think that we live in a world that's so polarizing, right? It sells (laughs) to be polarizing. We all know that on social media. When you go to the extremes, that causes the algorithm to explode, right? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so extreme cells. So us talking about that middle ground of like, yeah, eat the frozen, yeah, eat the canned, right? And not demonizing it doesn't get as much play as somebody saying, this has poison, look at these ingredients. But like anybody that's taken organic chemistry, which now I am a firm believer that everybody in the world should take it, um, <laughs> would yeah. know that you change one bond, you change, you know, one, you know, organic you know, compound around and you change the whole entire product, <laughs> like look yeah. at water and gas, like you can make yes. water into steam. You can like, yeah. it's just basic science really sometimes is like, I feel like what some people are lacking, especially with all this fear mongering around food. Yes. Uh, it feels, yes. It, it, like when people say it has antifreeze in it, of course, why would you want to feed your kid that? Right. Like, of course that's going to sell. Cause you're going to be like, crap, I can't have pop tarts anymore, but that's not true. <laughs> It's not the same. And so I think I try to just take the fear. My job as a dietitian is to take the fear away from all of these headlines and like polarizing clickbait, you know, information that's out there and bring it down to a place where it's like, this is the facts. This is the science. This is the real, you know, information on it. Now you get to choose. Do you want to eat this or do you not? My job isn't my job isn't to be like, you have to do this. No, my job is to educate. I am nobody's keeper. Everybody's has autonomy to their body and to their, you know, personal preferences and to their family needs. My job isn't to, you know, sit here and demonize anybody for doing what they deem right for their family. My job is just to present the facts. Totally. And I think that's a big thing. Like, well, so that's the whole thing about, oh my gosh, you can't like, look what's in here. So my dad actually, um, my dad is an immunologist. I mean, retired now, but that's, he spent his entire career studying, um, microbiology and immunology specifically, Mm -hmm. um, asthmatic, um, when it comes to asthma and allergy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I clearly the last couple of years have gone to him with a lot of questions because he, (laughs) he gets his sources right from science, not from, you know, media or whatever the media decides to tell you. And, and the bottom line is it's true. Like people, you know, are scared of what's in things and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so much of it is like, our body is meant to actually, you know, deal with a lot of stuff. And, and, Mm -hmm. and there's really, you know, there's so much controversy with so many things from, you know, health to food to whatever. And Mm -hmm. the bottom line is, yeah, like a lot of it is just fear mongering. It's Mm -hmm. taking things and making you, you know, fearful of it. And that's kind of like, you know, and so my husband has the reason we changed to a mostly plant-based diet. And I'm going to stress the word mostly because we don't believe in all or nothings or black and white situations. We believe that we kind of eat intuitively of what we're feeling. And my husband, you know, had major heart issues. And I, we changed our diet with the guide of our doctor, not by ourselves based on some random stuff, but with the guide of his cardiologist to, um, mostly plant-based and he feels and craves now that, and our boys are a product, you know, half of him. And now that our boys are older, you know, we allow them 
to make decisions on what they want to eat when they go out, you know, at home, I cook a certain way and it is what it is. But, you know, we try and teach them that it is your decision. And we're trying to show you, you know, if you're part of daddy and you have the same issue as daddy, you're going to start feeling bad. And I want you to learn to recognize how your body feels and know what it feels like to feel this or to feel bad or to feel good or whatever and and make decisions you know you you ate you know two giant bowls of ice cream no wonder you're sitting on the couch clutching your stomach like i'm not yeah. surprised you know and have them learn how to make those decisions themselves because i don't want them to be a product of how of others making the decisions for them based on fear mongering or whatever yeah yeah. And that's all that we can do. Right. I think that, again, I educate from that perspective. It's like, you know, you look at the media and everybody's like, oh, fried foods are killing Latin American people. And it's like, have you ever actually went into one of our countries? Like how much food is actually fried? <laughs> well, <Not> yeah. Much. <laughs> well, and, and, and in all reality, I mean, eating some fried foods is not gonna, is not going to yeah, kill you. Like it's, it's, it's yeah. If, if it's your main diet and that's all you eat every single day, you're, you're probably going to have a little bit of an issue, but, but, but we know people that eat that way and don't have issues though. There's some yeah. big celebrity people that I'm not yep. going to mention that yep. are, you know, super famous about eating, you know, certain foods yep. and only drinking certain things and they're still kicking it. So yep. I think it's important to realize yep. that, Social determinants of health are so important because, you know, I was, I did this whole newsletter um, series for my followers about how like in the United States, right, the, the rate of diabetes for Latin, like Latino people is somewhere around like 50%, they're saying, but then you mm -hmm. go to Latin America and it's 20%. So what's the difference? Like, yeah, they say there's a genetic component, which I believe um, and we know that there's triggers that can trigger certain genetic, you know, components to come up, you know, earlier in life. I mean, I think, you know, by the time you're 90, if you have some sugar issues, like what you made it to 90, <laughs> like your body's well, that, deteriorating, yeah. like it's okay that your blood yeah. sugar control isn't that great. Right. Um, yep. but I think it's important to see like why the huge difference, why that 30%. And I think it's stress. I think it's quality. hundred percent. I think it's access to food. I mean, I say this all of the time. I can go to the Dominican Republic and I can brush shoulders with like millionaires at a market and you can be, you know, dirt poor, but you're still there buying your platanos and your fruits and vegetables at the same market because everybody has access to the same food. It doesn't matter how rich you are. Right. But in yeah. the United States, that's not the case. Right. So we need to be talking about that when it comes to this country. And instead of demonizing people for their, you know, food choices, we should be really turning, you know, around and saying, well, what the heck are we doing as a society here? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's the same in Greece. You know, they say the Mediterranean diet is like, you know, supposed to be super great for you, but it, it's really more than just the diet. It's, it's exactly. the lifestyle. It's the way of I living. Mean, <laughs> it is. It totally is. And that's, it's a hundred percent the truth. I actually lived in Greece, my junior year of college. Um, I went to UC Davis and everyone went abroad their junior year. I mean, not everyone, but that was like a thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so when I thought about going abroad, when I started college, I, my parents, obviously they wanted me to go to Greece, but the yes. only quote unquote exchange programs were those for like art history. And I was a science major and my parents also wanted me to go to be immersed in the language, even though Greek was my first language, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it, um, you, you, you lose it a little yeah, you bit. Lose, I mean, yeah, you, you don't yes. use it, you lose it. <laughs> yes. 
So they, my dad being a scientist actually made this deal with the biology professor at the, on the um, island of Crete at the bio university in Crete. And so I basically disenrolled from Davis. I enrolled in their university and became like a freshman because I was made a deal with Davis and got all the syllabus and whatever, and, Mm -hmm. and was going to take some of my science classes there. And so I was legit fully immersed into the culture, the people, the, I mean, my parents, we didn't have any family on Crete. All my family was on the mainland, but they took me to Crete, found me an apartment and left me there. And they're like, good luck. (laughs) And I had to, I mean, it was the most amazing and scariest thing I've ever done in my life, but I basically had to figure out how to do shit. And I did. I mean, I, it was one of the best years of my life, but like I had to take the bus to school. I, you know, in Greece, like you don't grocery shop for a week at a time. You go every couple of days. Every day. Yeah. You, you go get your, you know, I remember the yogurt there was there's, I forget the name of it, but it was this yogurt I had every morning for breakfast. I'd get it like a couple days worth at a time because it's fresh and it Mm -hmm. had like barley and fruits and nuts. Oh my gosh. And you had to go get fresh bread every day. And like, it, that's just the way it was. And, oh, yeah. you know, you walk everywhere and I had to find a laundromat. And I had, like, it was just, it's just a different, and then everything shuts down on Sundays and everything also such shuts down for siesta hour from like yep. one to four. Yep. And that is the culture there. That's what happens. Yes. And it, it, they built in self-care and they built in family time and they built in resting time into their day. Yeah. And, and that has to be a difference. Like that has exactly. to make a difference. And people nourish their bodies there. People aren't obsessed with like, oh my God, does that have too much sugar? Oh my God, does that have too much cholesterol in it? Like nobody's obsessed with food. Everybody just eats <laughs> and enjoys it. And food is like an experience and food oh, yeah. is so amazing because you feel the love. I mean, I studied abroad in Italy and like I spent a whole summer there also immersed in the culture. And it's like, nope, everybody has gelato multiple times a day sometimes like yeah everybody's walking around to you know the you know corner shop not their corner shops but they're called you know bars and they're going in there and they're getting their pizza for lunch and they're getting their paninis for lunch and they're eating pasta for like lunch and dinner like nobody's fearful of food but then you come here and everybody is afraid of every crumb that touches their mouth yeah 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 I mean yeah we're the we're the nation of freedom. I mean, it's interesting, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it just, it is very quite ironic. I mean, yeah, growing up, my friends would come and even now, who am I kidding? Even now my parents, we go to anyone that goes to my parents' house, my mom's, like, Oh, here, eat. You're not hungry here. Just a little snack. Yes. Just, yeah, yeah, just a little snack. Yeah. Um, but it's true. So like, how do you, like, how do we, you know, if someone is interested, how do we go back to this intuitive eating and embracing culture and being okay? Like, how do we change that mindset? Yeah. So I think, again, is dismantling a lot of this fear-based information. So a lot of what I do is I, you know, educate on where these polarizing clickbait information is coming from, right? Like there's always a reason why they want to sell, they want to get clicks, you know, they just want to, you know, it's, you know, just the way that this country is at this point. Um, So bringing it down to the facts and the basics, um, is what's important to people. And when people understand how food nourishes them, when they actually understand how food works in the body, they don't have to be fearful, right? 
they learn how to reduce stress. They learn how to find joy and satisfaction in food again. And they learn how to move their body because they want to, not because there's an ulterior motive of burning, right? It's like, I move my body for mental health. I move my body because it feels great to go for that 30 minute walk and get fresh air, right? It feels great to get on that bike um, and ride around. So I think that when we shift, our mindset to a more positive way of thinking, right? I'm always constantly talking about reframing, right? When we're able to reframe and neutralize a lot of the fear mongering, um, it just helps. And you notice the difference immediately. I totally, totally agree. I mean, I have, I've had so many people, I put up um, a story uh, this on Monday when I got back, cause I was off of social media during our couple week vacation. And, um, it's like, you know, January 10th. And I basically was kind of like, well, it's January 10th. Um, and I'm just getting ready to, you know, I, I've been partying like a rock star for two weeks. Let's just say eating and drinking everything in sight, like not even kidding. We went wine tasting. Um, we stopped in Paso Robles on the way back down from Oregon and went wine tasting. And I looked at my husband in the last like little taste. And I looked at him, I'm like, I don't think I can do anymore. I am done. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, I think we, I think we're, I think we're pickled. Um, And I finally, I was kind of like, yep, I've been going crazy and I have tipped over to that point where I just don't feel good anymore. So my my body is craving fresh food, ditching the alcohol for a little while. And, you know, this is how I'm doing it. My body's craving my workouts because I didn't do anything, but I snowshoed once, you know, other than that, like not much going on in the snow. Um, And I was like, but, you know, I am going to document this process on here. I need accountability. I need, you know, to have somewhere to do it. You know, who's with me? And I had so many people be like, 2022 is my year to forget about what I have to do, like January 1st resolutions and focus on what I want to do. And I'm like, yes, exactly. Like, you don't have to do anything because it's January. Like, you should do it when you're feeling like doing it. Like, I wasn't on here January 1st screaming it's time to go vegan. It's time to do that. I mm-hmm. came on here January 10th and said, yep, 10 days in. And this is when I'm finally feeling like it's, I, I need to like get back to what my body's, you know, craving right now. And, you know, it's interesting how many people, once you say that actually come out and be like, yes, you know, this is, you know, I want to, you know, stop feeling like I can't do this or I have to do that. Um, and it's definitely, you know, my number one thing to them is, recurate your feed stop following people that don't that don't um that don't um post or don't share what you want to see and and that's the thing like all of it is fake (laughs) yeah well all those super curated pages that's not that's not how people really live (laughs) no and the thing is I mean social media in general I mean it is of course you go there to feel good like the definition of it is 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 the tip of what's reality. You know, that's yeah. the real truth of it. And, you know, even what, you know, I post in my best of what I can, like, I'm still, you know, the deep of there's tons of pretty crappy things happening right now in my life. And I'm not going to share all of it because A, it's personal and B, you know, there's a lot of crappy things happening in the world. And I don't necessarily want to to add too much more to that, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I yeah. do share, I share the tantrums, I share the whatever, but um, you know, no one's not a lot of people are going to post the depths of the really terrible stuff happening because a lot of it is is stuff that is personal and you don't really want to share anyway, you know, yeah. so 
people just have to change, like you said, change your mindset. Um, so do you have any tips for somebody um, that is wants to go move away from, you know, diet culture and really focus on intuitive, intuitive eating and um, there's some quick little like, these are the things I would start with. Yeah, I would just take it one day, one meal at a time. Like, that's it. <laughs> every every time you eat, it's like a new beginning for you to add nutrition and enjoy your food and enjoy satisfaction and pleasure out of it. Like every time you eat, it's just like a perfectly great place to start. Totally. I love that. I love how simple that is. And, you know, just like too, like if you, if you eat something and then you think yourself, like, I shouldn't have done that start again next time. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, doesn't mean you, you quit altogether. Exactly. I love it. Well, thank you so much. This was such a great um, episode. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here and um, share all this info with everybody. Thanks for having me. Um, and those of you listening, thank you so much for being here and listening to the podcast. If you love what you hear, um, please leave me a rate and review. Um, I believe Spotify now you're able to do that, the purple um, podcasting app. And the more rates and reviews I get, the more um, my podcast is out there and the more I can get awesome people like Delina here sharing great information for you guys because ultimately it's about you all and getting the information out to you. So I really appreciate it. Um, thanks so much and we'll chat soon.